what could I do if I had partnered with, for example, the brokerage I was I was with, which had 600 agents. And so I went and approached those guys about doing something. They liked the idea. And, you know, I told them, look, well, let's, let's, let's test this market. And if it works, then let's take it on a national level and try to duplicate it. Welcome to the Build a Broker podcast. Each episode, you'll hear the journey of newly minted mortgage brokers from concept to first closed loan on their road to success. The hardest part about this business always seems to be creating a steady flow of leads. Well, today's guest found a way to use his vast real estate experience, his entrepreneurial spirit, and partnered with his sister to launch a mortgage brokerage. And this all started by attending one of our in-person Build a Broker events. In this episode, we're going to talk about recruiting. We're going to talk about the importance of building a solid tech stack, even if you hit a couple of bumps along the way. And we're also going to talk about how today's guest scaled from zero to 11 branches in just a few years. But first, a word from our sponsor. Rocket Pro TPO has the tools brokers need to compete, even in an ever-changing market. Elevate your game with world-class training called Pro Performance. It's elite coaching that only Rocket Pro TPO can offer. Partners walk away with the skills to confidently present to clients, explain market conditions, and win more business. Learn more at rocketprotpo.com. Equal housing lender, licensed in all 50 states, and MLS number 3030. And I'm your host, Andrew Berman. And on this episode of Build a Broker, we're going to hear one of my favorite Build a Broker stories because it started at one of our in-person events. On today's episode, we get Jonathan Jacobs, principal of Streamline Home Loans, sharing a story about how he and his sister went to a Build a Broker live event, and thanks to the information and connections they made at the live event, within three years, they went from zero to 130 originators with 11 locations. And yes, even in 2022, they're still up in volume. Here's their story. All right. So, so listen, Jonathan, right off the bat, I, I got to ask you. So like every other uh, guest on Build a Broker, you didn't go to school to become a mortgage broker. You know, so talk to us, like what led you down to the path? So you got into real estate like in 2005. What led you to that, to that, that path? I mean, you, you uh, later on became, you got a, got a degree in marketing, but still nothing to do with real estate. Talk to us about that path. Well, I, my dad was in real estate. So we'll give you a little more backstory. My dad was a chef. So I was born in Mexico. My dad's American. He was a chef. He he moved out to Los. Well, we first went to Phoenix, worked there as a chef in a country club. We moved back to Mexico. That same company had a um, a, a country club in Mexico. He worked there. And the crisis hit. There was a big financial crisis in Mexico. The peso went from three pesos a dollar to six overnight. And he decided he's going to move to Las Vegas because they wanted to pay him in pesos. So he came out and became a chef out here. And uh, in 99, um, they had built a Venetian hotel and casino. And he was the chef for the Sands, which convention center, which is the same, same company. And they wanted him to do the Venetian. He was just tired of it. He was working crazy hours. So, you know, my dad always, and my mom, they're both very hard workers. Uh, you know, always instilled work ethic into us. And his, his broker, a guy named Joel Silverman, who sold us our house, said, hey, you know what? You'd be good at real estate. And he was. You know, he, he right away, I think after one month, he had something like 14 escrows. And it was just crazy, right? He, he had this marketing idea that worked. <laughs> <laughs> and it just took off. 
So he ended up buying the brokerage. Well, hold on for a second. You can't just gloss over that and not tell us that marketing idea that got 14 transactions in his first month. Come (laughs) on, Jonathan. It was a very simple idea. Um, He had a friend who worked at a, or who was a distributor for a little Hispanic newspaper, local newspaper. And he said, hey, I have this promotion and I like to put these flyers in inside the newspaper slash magazine. And he had me and my brother uh, help him on the weekends, and we stuff all these envelope, you know, these uh, flyers into the into the newspapers. And it just, you know, it was almost free marketing. He kind of just piggybacked off of the of the little magazine, and it was a popular magazine, and it worked really well. He had all these calls and crazy, you know. He it was also two thousand early two thousands. The market was obviously um, doing well, and it was growing incredibly fast here. So then. Fast forward a few years, he ends up buying the brokerage. And when I was 19 years old or 20 years old, um, you know, I had a buddy who was working for him, making more money than I was making. And I didn't like that. <laughs> so I said, you know, I'll, I'll get my license and start working for my dad. So it was, it was, that, I was going to school. That was magic realty. That was magic realty. Yes. Interesting. And, uh, so I started magic realty and then, Obviously, the housing crash a few years later, and my dad was like, "You know what? I don't know if I want to stay in real estate." And he 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 got out of it. He sold Magic Realty to his to his uh, partner he had left, and um, I stayed in Magic Realty. You know, he went back to food and beverage. I stayed in so, and then after that, I ended up just moving to a few different brokerages until I landed in 2012 at a place called Simply Vegas, um, which is where I still have a real estate team. And, you know, after that, um, funny story how I got into mortgage. I have five kids, by the way. So Five? <laughs> yeah. My goodness. And, and so my wife, um, you know, our plan was always, hey, we're going to get to a place where She's gonna she she's gonna stay home and she's gonna be able to spend time with the kids and you know and and and, and help raise them. And one day she comes to me and says, "You know what? I am sick and tired of having conversations with kids all day. I want to be able to have a conversation with an adult, you know, other than you." So, <laughs> so I told her, "I said, you know, I, yeah, I, I could I could see that. I can I understand that." So. But at the same time, she didn't want to go do something full time and she didn't want to, you know, commit to something and not be, be able to, because she did enjoy being at home with the kids. So I said, why don't you get your mortgage license? And, um, you know, she said, well, yeah, and I, said, I, I can give you, you know, at that time I was really active in real estate, had a pretty decent sized real estate team doing a lot of transactions. So I told her, look, I can give you one deal or I can give you 10 a month or whatever it is, right? You can, we can be flexible. And as we know, one of the most difficult parts is getting the clients. So these were going to be essentially handed to her. Fantastic. Well, so she did. She got her license and then she hated it. Right? <laughs> so just give us an idea. What, what, what year are we talking about when your wife got into mortgages and she realized that she hated it? Uh, 2014. 2014. Okay. Got it. Got it. So, so she got into it. She realized she hated it. She got out of it as fast as she could, I'm assuming. Absolutely. Yeah. So she, she was in it for about five months <laughs> and I had an agent who's also a friend on my team whose wife did the same thing. 
and she also hated it. <laughs> so, you know, but then it, it just got my wheel spinning. I, I kind of, you know, in those five months, she did a good amount of deals. And I was just, you know, I just thought to myself, you know, I, I don't want to give up this money. Right. I, I saw the opportunity. And so Stephanie at that time uh, had worked at U.S. Bank and, you know, and I, I talked to her and she said, well, the only part I enjoy about working at U.S. Bank is the origination. So I said, well, why don't you um, essentially start a team, start a, a, a mortgage team. And so we did. And, you know, and it kind of just grew from there. Uh, we ended up opening sort of a, I guess, P&L branch, net branch, whatever you want to call it. And uh, with a company called Noble Home Loans. And you know, there's a long story about, you know, I was supposed to partner with the owner of Noble Home Loans in, in a few different ventures. Um, but I actually got through it through a, a, another friend reached out to me who was in the nightclub industry. And he knew a couple of young guys from New Jersey, um, which were SD Capital, which are now called Lemon Brew. Um, oh, yes. You know, <laughs> Samir and Samir Jason. Jason. Yep. Yes. And he said, hey, these guys are looking to venture out and they, they want to open up Nevada and I think you guys would click. So, you know, I had some conversations with those guys. We were thinking about doing something together and we were going to open up SD Capital here in Nevada. Great guys, by the way. I agree. Um, if you don't know them, yeah, they're, they're really good guys. I do. J- and- Jason, Jason just texted me today talking about this podcast. Oh, yeah? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, um, it ended up. We just ended up not doing anything together. I ended up doing something with with the guy from Noble, and you know, it, it was a little easier for me to get started in the sense that I had the built-in real estate business, right? So we had the leads already built in, and we would just funnel them through the through the mortgage company, you know. And it and then it really just I had this idea of doing joint ventures, you know, if if uh, if I had this amount of volume or with my 20 agents on my team, what could I do if I had partnered with, for example, the brokerage I was, I was with, which had 600 agents. And so I went and approached those guys about doing something. They liked the idea. And, you know, I told them, look, well, let's, let's, let's test this market. And if it works, then let's take it on a national level and try to duplicate it. And so we did, we started streamline and in 2019, and then we all know what happened with the market. The market kind of, you know, we, we also came in at a kind of an opportune time. Yeah, the market just skyrocketed, right? So we took off and we were able to benefit from that. That said, there was also not only the, there was a lot of challenges, right? Growing pains and trying to keep up with the market demand, keeping up with the loans, but also trying to recruit LOs and, and, and you know, the, the joint venture model, the way we have it, it, it's it presents a lot of logistical issues. Every single joint venture we do is an actual brand new entity. It means brand new licensing, software, everything. You literally have to recreate the entire company every single time we do a JV, which is not fun and easy. But the it does make it a lot easier than to sell the joint ventures because we offer ownership. And, you know, the, the sales piece of it is strong, but I think a lot of mortgage companies will stay away from our model in particular because of all the costs involved and of all the challenges in logistics, right? 
Yeah. So now let me, in, in, in your organization, um, like, you know, where, what do you focus on and what does Stephanie focus on? Because you guys seem to actually have like a really good working relationship that, and, and I, maybe this is just Stephanie talking, but it seems like you guys are not like not stepping on each other's toes. You're staying in each other's lane. So like, what do you do really well? Um, and what does Stephanie do really well? Um, well, Stephanie does a lot more really well than I do. Oh, that's <laughs> but, nice to say about your little sis. <laughs> no, but it's, Stephanie runs operations. Yeah. Right. So it's, it's, Stephanie has an entire ops team. She runs, she has the ops managers. She has recruiting, licensing, accounting, the the closing department, um, you name it. She's, you know, processing. She's running all that. Um, my job really is to focus on growing the company. Right. And, and not only the company as far as size and LOs and new joint ventures, um, but also um, I'm pretty involved in recruiting um, and also the products. Right. Being able to how can we improve our products? How can we improve our software? How can we improve our systems? Yeah, well, and and listen, I mean, and obviously this this seems to be working because yes, I know we had two years of a phenomenal volume, uh, but you know you're sitting, uh, you know, fifty fifty plus originators, I believe, uh, you know, three locations, may, maybe more. I, I could be wrong about that. Um, so so you know what it, what about it actually is is attracting new recruits? So how will you bring uh, these these recruits into it? Since your efforts are spent on recruiting in a lot of cases. Well, we think we have the edge on a lot of different things. You know, we've actually been, even in the last few months, we've been growing quite a bit. We're actually up to about 154 employees. Um, and we have just about 110 or so are originators. We have three locations in Las Vegas, but we have 11 locations throughout. Wait, so, so just you said how many originators? 110. 110 and how and on only 150 employees? Yes. Interesting. So so generally speaking, you know, they usually have more support spe- uh, to support that many originators. So what are you guys doing different? Is it is it your technology? Is it just having good ops people? Like how are you supporting, you know, so many loan officers, you know, with it with a a smaller uh, you know, support group? Well, it's funny you say that because I thought we had too much support. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, you know, I, I don't know what some, uh, what other people are doing. Uh, you know, we, we definitely have a great uh, support team and ops team. And, you know, we, we try to get best in class technology. Um, we do run most of the processing is centralized here from Las Vegas. Um, you know, so I, don't know what we're doing differently, Andrew, because once again, I don't know what else everybody else is doing. Oh, yeah, clearly you're doing you're doing something really good there. So, so talk to us about about you know like like when when you're talking to a new recruit. So you're you have someone. Are, are you looking for someone that's already established in the industry, or are you looking to recruit from out of out of the industry? No, we're definitely looking for people that are established, and that's important to our model because of our joint ventures, right? So let's say we go open up a deal in Alabama. I don't know. I'm just making something up. Um, we have a strong broker we're going to partner with there. 
you know, it's difficult to bring in new LOs into that model because they expect their agents to be serviced at a certain level. Right. And we're pretty selective of who we partner with. Um, I'll give you an example. Our, our partner in Houston has about 350 agents, but we were in discussions with a couple of brokers that had over 2000 agents each, you know, and they came out to Las Vegas. We went out to Houston about doing a partnership. The numbers on paper look great, but you know, once we got to know the actual model, uh, communication connectivity with their agents just wasn't there, right? They were, maybe they were just the cheapest in town. So everybody hung their license there. Uh, you know, the partner we ended up going with at that time had about 250 agents, but he does something called coffee with Chris every morning. And half of his agents literally get on every day for at least an hour. So he has a lot of influence, a lot of, you know, over his agents, a lot of uh, great connection with them. And we just knew that he could drive business. So we decided to partner with him instead of the other ones and grow with him. He was also, he had a, a great growth projection. And so we decided, Hey, this is our partner. And that's happened quite a bit. You know, I can give you multiple examples. So once we're speaking to recruits, having the purchase business and having the relationship with the brokerages is definitely a leg up we have on maybe somebody who doesn't. Right. Um, it, but really when we're talking to recruits, my advice, if you're trying to recruit is really just listen to the LOs, right? Mm. The, the number one thing they always tell us is I'm super happy, especially in the, you know, n- maybe not so much in the last five months, but in the previous couple of years, everybody's making great money and it was more difficult to recruit. And the, the number one objection we would get is I'm really happy. I'm crushing it. I'm not looking to move. But then you, when you really start talking to them about their business, there's always some pain point. It's either they don't have enough support or they, they don't like their comp plan. Or, you know, I'd hear people say, like, well, I closed 200 loans last year, but I, I processed half of them myself because I didn't have the actual support or I'm getting, I'm in this crazy scale, comp scale. And yeah, they didn't like, right. So we try to simplify the comp structure uh, where it was very, where it was competitive, but also simple for them to understand and straightforward. Uh, and we try to, you know, really push our support. We're going to give you this, the, the, the tools you need. And we're going to put you in front of agents uh, that have purchase business, right? Which has been our big recruiting tool lately is really telling people, hey, look, we're refis are gone. We've always been, even at the peak of the refis, the most we ever did was maybe 30% refis. So, you know, it's, that's a really big selling tool for us. We have the, we have the purchase business. So do you have a lot of, uh, you know, uh, let's call them refi LOs, people like Steve who were heavy on refis that have, that have joined you over the, the last several months as their business has dried up? I wouldn't say a lot, but yes, it's, 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 there's a good amount of them. And can you teach a refi LO how to be referral-based working with real estate agents using the, the relationships you've set up? Sure. I think certainly you can. It just depends on the personality and how willing are they to learn. So, and what would you say actually is one of the 
common things that these uh, let's call them refi jockeys, uh, you know, that that like maybe either a bad habit or something that they've learned uh, that they need to unlearn uh, or uh, a, a strategy that they need to kind of embrace that's been successful for you? It's really just, are they willing to get in front of people, right? Are they willing to go out there, shake hands uh, and, and follow up, right? And not be used to getting just leads coming in to them. Now, we do have leads that come, you know, we, we do buy leads, we do generate some leads, but we certainly don't promise anybody as a matter of fact, I never even bring up leads when we're recruiting people. What I tell them is, look, I can get you in front of the agents. That I can promise, right? I will get you in front of the agents. We will get you a meeting. If you can't get that meeting, our partner can get it because they work for our partner, hmm. right? And our partners are very involved in, in setting up those meetings and being part of them. But then after that, it's up to you to follow up and to perform. Yeah. And if they don't, then we just stop putting them in front of people. <laughs> got it. Got it. <laughs> well, how, how important is, uh, you know, being the, the, like the, the best comp plan on, on the street? I mean, is that, does that factor in, uh, you know, less when you're providing them with these relationships that you've set up and cultivated, uh, you know, through your relationships? I think it, it matters a little less. But we still want to be competitive, right? We, we, we still want to make sure that they get... So we actually have two, two comp plans. So the, the, their comp plan is, is they get one comp plan for self-gen and one comp plan for in-house leads. So we want to give them the, the ability to... We still want them to go out and get this outside business. 80% of our business is outside business. Okay. Uh, and, and the reason that is, is because as we bring on producing the lows it becomes harder and harder to keep up with the in-house business, right? Uh, for example, if I bring on an LO that does $30 million a year, um, you know, I might be able to give that LO another 10, but he's going to help that outpace that with his previous book of business. Right. So it's really, look, you'll be able to keep making what you're making now, or maybe even more on your own business but I'm still going to get this business and I'm going to pay a competitive plan on this business. Got it. That makes sense, man. And not only that, Andrew, but also it's also important for pricing, right? To keep their comp plan competitive, but you also don't want to get to get too crazy high because it's going to affect their pricing and then, and then it won't be competitive. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely, that's not a good position to be in. And so, so listen, I know, I know one, another one of the ways that you, um, you know, give a lot of support to your originators is just having a great tech stack. Um, so you've shared actually, you know, some of the things in your tech stack um, now and Stephanie, Stephanie and I kind of went over it a little bit, but tell me out of this, out of this tech stack, what are your favorite, uh, your favorite elements, the things that you get excited about using? I think Florify is pretty neat. No, it's, um, it's very interactive. Uh, you know, it's white label, so you can say it's a streamline app. And the agents like it, even though they don't really adapt it that much, right? Like, for example, it allows you to do, it allows them to, to do their own prequal letters. I don't think we've ever had an agent do their own prequal letter. <laughs> but when you're presenting it to them, they like it, yeah. you know? Um, it, it allows them to to see in real time where the loan is, 
you know, and what documents we've gathered and approved and which ones haven't been approved. It, it also keeps us accountable, but it also keeps the client accountable because, you know, a lot of times the client will tell the agent, I've, I've given them everything they've asked for and, and they haven't. Right. And so we can say, look, well, look, this is what we're still missing and so forth. So kind of keeps parties accountable. Uh, and it's, it's, it's a pretty neat, um, software and I like it quite a bit. Fantastic. So listen, one of the things listed here on your tech stack is recruiter flow. What is that? Can you talk to me a little bit about that? I mean, as someone actually who has been very aggressively recruiting and successfully, um, I would love to hear what, what is recruiter flow? It's just a recruiting CRM. So we have a recruiting team um, now, you know, in, in the beginning, it was me, right? It was just me making phone calls or going out meeting people. Uh, now we have a recruiting team and we have a recruiting manager. And then we have a, essentially appointment setters. Appointment setters will set appointments for her. She kind of pre-screens them to the initial interview. And then it'll go to the managers. Uh, at some point, usually it comes to me or to Stephanie or whoever. So recruiter flow is just the CRM she uses to organize all her notes, all the leads, all the recruiting leads they have. Um, and it's, you know, frankly, it's one of the, it's the newest software we have and I'm not that familiar with it, yeah. but from what I under, you know, from what I know, it, it it's really just like any other CRM, right? It has workflow, email flows, and it, it does allow um, job postings uh, to go straight into that. And then it, and once it, somebody inquires on a job posting, it'll follow up with them. It'll, it'll make sure that the recruiter has the information and they're following up. And so yeah, that's all it is. That's pretty awesome, man. Now, listen, it's just, it's, it's really cool kind of seeing how you're, you're, you know, you and Stephanie joined forces and you started to, you know, kind of uh, creating a business that, that scales. I mean, that, that's one of the cool things about it. I mean, I, I, I'm seeing like a business that, you know, that, uh, you know, that, that is built where, and especially looking at the tech stack and looking the way actually, you know, the philosophy you and Stephanie have, this is a, a business that is going to keep growing and, you know, through joint uh, ventures, um, like the sky's the limit. But I, I want to talk to you about, uh, you know, like when, when you were setting this business up, because listen, you're an entrepreneur, whether it's, you know, from, you know, from things that you learned from your father, uh, you know, listen, there was, there was a, a, a stint in time where the mortgage industry fell apart and real estate fell apart. You were doing all sorts of different things. So it, it, it seems like you are an, an entrepreneur, but when you're setting up a mortgage company, um, it's so different than setting up any other business. Can you talk to us uh, about some of the things that you really wish you knew about before setting up the mortgage company? Like, you know, whether it's uh, pitfalls or money pits that you just weren't expecting, uh, things that, you know, created almost like a nightmare kind of scenario. Sure. There was a lot of those. <laughs> um, you know, software, I, ne I never realized how much software would, would cost, you know, and not only in dollars, but in time and effort to really make the integrations work and make the whole system work. Because, you know, there's, there's so many different kinds of softwares out there and, you know, they all sound great. And so just even going through all the demos and seeing how is this going to work together. And we, look, we've had, we started with Point. Then we switched to Encompass and we do broker everywhere, but here in Nevada, we are also correspondent lending. And 
to give you an example, when we were with Encompass, Encompass had told us that we could use um, the broker platform to correspond. And it turned out it wasn't the case, right? So, so we spent so much time building that out and building integrations. And then they turned around and said, oh, no, our rep made a mistake. And now trying to get out of that contract and trying to switch everything over and the cost of now we're in lending pad, which we're very happy with, but you know, and it's not just on our end. It's also us having to tell our LOs, Oh, Hey, now, but we're going to change again and retrain everybody and go through the whole process. And then all the other integrations, all the other software, right? Whether it be optimal blue that we were paying for it, but we couldn't use because the integrations weren't working properly with, with the broker platform and then having to switch over in the months and it, all those months that you're not using, you're still paying for it. Yeah. And those costs were significant. Um, compliance, it's obviously huge. And, you know, there was a lot, a lot of compliance that we weren't aware of. Um, so go, we were lucky enough to partner up with a com- third-party compliance company that has really helped us. Uh, that was, you know, but just making sure we had all the proper compliance in place that's a challenge. And then licensing, because once again, our, our platform, every single one is a separate entity. So if I go open up to that previous example, one in Alabama, and I want to get that entity to be able to do loans in Nevada. And so they have to get all the licenses and you know you have to do everything from scratch. Uh, and we've gone through two or three licensing companies until we found the one we're, we're happy with. Um, and you know, this is also this, uh, during a time when licensing applications were the highest ever, right? And so there was a lot of delays and a lot of challenges with licensing. And we were told, you can't do this or your license isn't ready because of this. And a lot of times it was just this, it was, there were just lies, you know, and just kind of figuring that process out um, was really challenging and expensive. What, not lies from like from the regulators from the the state regulators. No lies from our the licensing companies we're using. Oh the light. Oh my you know, goodness! Like we're, we're waiting on the regulator, and really the, it had never been turned in, or you know we're waiting because of this, and we we realized later when we spoke to the regulator that that was just complete baloney, and that we could have turned it in, and they would have just conditioned us for it, for example. So in the meantime, we're waiting on licenses. And we have partnerships signed. We have lease space that we're paying for, TI that we've paid for. We have QEs or QI, depending on where you are in the in the what state you're in. But you know that we're paying a salary for, and we can't originate. So that was very costly. Yeah, I can I can imagine I can imagine those are those are some uh, some pretty big uh, missteps. Uh, you know, when, and, and I'm sure there's gotta be times where you're like, man, I, re- I remember how great it was when I had a company I worked for and they had to deal with these headaches. Oh yeah. When, <laughs> when it was just me, you know, and I could, uh, when, even before mortgage, when it was just me and I could, they don't have to, I didn't have any responsibility to anybody except for my family. Right. Yeah. So sure. But I also really enjoy being an entrepreneur and, and helping people out and growing with this amazing team we have, you know, and that's what gets me up in the morning. 
So and, and so not only get you up, but but I mean, listen, you don't you don't do what you're doing at the level you're doing unless you're able to maintain a, a positive mindset. So what do you do to maintain that positive mindset? Because this isn't been always a, a rosy career for you. You know, you've had a lot of ups and downs. You've had actually, you know, um, I mean, fortunately right now we're all on the upswing, uh, but there have been some 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 kind of uh, rough waters uh, and uh uh, there's a uh, a quote from uh, from FDR. It says a uh, a smooth sea never made a skilled sailor. Uh, so so talk to us a little bit about what you do to kind of maintain a, a, a positive mindset because now it's not just you. It's not just you actually saying, "Hey, I'm fighting for this for my family." But now you have 150 people that need to be in that same positive mindset because they got to feed their families. Sure. And, you know, I don't, I'm not going to give you a great answer. I don't think on that one. (laughs) Um, It's just because, you know, I don't, uh, I'm not one of those people that listens to motivational speakers or anything like that. You know, I've always been pretty self-motivated and I think a lot of that has to do with, well, how I was raised one. Um, I have had a lot of failures, you know, as you said, I I have had other companies I've had, I've produced DVDs and I've done, I've had a marketing company. I used to market for hotels and I've had failures and I've learned a lot from those things. But as far as what keeps me going really is just, um, you know, providing for my family, also self goals that I have. Um, And, you know, what makes me, what gives me comfort, right? I'm a, I believe in God, you know, and, and my belief in God and uh, has helped me in during tough times, knowing that I feel like I'm no matter what, I'm going to be okay. I'm a big family person. And, um, same thing, you know, I've, I've been in really tough spots in the past, Andrew, and just knowing that no matter what happens, I'm going to be okay. Right. I'm going to, I'm going to have a place to sleep because I have my family or I'm going to, I'm going to be okay. Right. No matter what. And that just, you know, that, that allows me to take risks and some have paid off and some haven't. And, you know, and I do really care about our team members and just being able to, like you said, not only provide for my family, but I do feel a sense of responsibility to make sure that things keep working for them. Well, that's awesome, man. Well, Definitely seems to be working, man. So I, I want to uh, kind of close this out with uh, one, one last question. And uh, Jonathan, th- think to your think to yourself, actually, uh, you know, in if you had, uh, you know, young Jonathans that you were able to talk to, you know, like, uh, you know, someone who uh, let's let's say just to kind of give you a sam- uh, an example. Uh, so you went to uh, Palo Verde High School, right? Right. Okay. So if you could talk to a Jonathan, a young Jonathan in Palo Verde High School and kind of impart some wisdom uh, on that, that young Jonathan to kind of give them a, a advice or guidance for, for life, what, what kind of guidance would you give them? I would have told them uh, buy some Tesla stock. <laughs> <laughs> no. That's great. Um. It's a good question. I would say, 
you know, I probably would have tried to start and gone off on my own a little earlier. And that's easy to say now because obviously when I did, I had more wisdom of the market and, you know, a little more business knowledge. But I think I would have tried to go off, uh, you know, and start my own thing when when I was younger, right? I would have probably, even if I would have failed, I would have known a lot more than I know now. And so before you had five mouths to feed plus a, plus a wife and, you know, all the bills that come with it, did you would have taken uh, taken actually those, those, those risky maneuvers uh, earlier in your life? Sure. Uh, you know, it, I never put myself and here's why, because even if I would have taken those risky maneuvers, you know, I think it was more risky not to take that chance because I never put myself in a position where uh, I could stop doing what I was doing, right? Or I was growing, really. Um, if I was just working somewhere, I was collecting a paycheck, but that wasn't really going to get me ahead. And I never had that chance to put myself ahead unless I took the risk. And I'm glad I have taken the risk, even the ones that have failed. You know, it's the, they teach you a lot and they teach you a lot quickly, you know. I'll, you know. That's awesome. Jonathan, love the story, man. And I, I, I have a feeling actually that we've, we have not heard the end of Streamline Home Loans. Uh, you know, you guys have a great trajectory, um, you know, great team going on there, great tech stack, and i um, looking forward to hearing uh, more great stuff from you guys. Thank you. When you want to grow, strengthen, and protect your business, Rocket can. Partner with RocketProTPO.com today. Jonathan and his sister put together a plan to systematically create these joint ventures with real estate partners. Basically, Jonathan took the lessons that he learned as a real estate agent himself. So combining that with Stephanie's mastery in ops, they created a platform that's growing fast thanks to an opportunity that potential originator recruits are having a hard time saying no to. That's it for this episode of Build a Broker, a Mortgage News Network podcast. All episodes are produced by T.G. Kutam Perar and Matt Mullins. Mike Savino is head of multimedia and Christine Stewart is editorial director. Opening theme is Adrenaline by Balloon Planet. And the music you're hearing now is Sharp Thin Blade by Francesco D'Andrea. Be sure you subscribe on your favorite podcasting platform. Help inspire other future brokers by sharing this episode and leaving your reviews. Join us in person at a Build a Broker event near you. These half-day events help you open, operate, and grow your mortgage brokerage with confidence. Learn more at nmplink.com slash B-A-B.